Welcome back to the Weekly Tar Heel, your only audio source for UNC sports. I am legally obligated to tell you that all statements in this podcast may be false, or at least that one. My name is Chad Floyd, and I'm joined for the first time in a while by the man, the myth, the legend, the world's number one Ron Rivera stand, Akil Garuparan. Akil, what's up? <laughs> uh, how's it going, Chad? Uh, I'm obligated to say that one might be false as well, but <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I figured out we'd start with uh, with a little bit of fake news. Um, Akil, you're you're up in the Chicago area, so I mean, in the interest of uh, keeping it relevant to this podcast. Uh, how are they feeling about our boy Mitch Trubisky uh, after his six touchdown performance a couple weeks back? Yeah, that was um, that was something. It was it's pretty funny to see Chicago media for the first couple weeks. It was kind of questionable. Like he had a had a few off weeks and then goes into the Tampa game and just throws dimes everywhere. And everyone knows that the Tampa defense is you know absolute garbage. So no one's thinking that he's automatically elite but it's definitely alleviated a lot of the questions around him and i think he's going to have a be a lot more comfortable for the rest of the year yeah i think showing that upside is obviously uh something that's going to help him in the long term um they don't really need him to do that with khalil mack and my boy roquan smith and everybody on that defense but um definitely nice to see that he yeah they're yeah there's do what Yeah, for sure. The defense is great. They've got an excellent running game. He really just needs to not mess up, but showing that he can not only not mess up, but also elevate them, like definitely makes the decision to take him over guys like Watson and Mahomes a lot easier to stomach for people around here. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm a believer that most NFL quarterbacks are a product of their system. I don't think Tom Brady is Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. I don't think Mahomes is doing what he's doing without Andy Reid. And, you know, Trubisky's offensive coordinator or, or his head coach was uh, Mahomes' offensive coordinator. So it's, um, you know, I, I, I would say if we're going to start anything positive about UNC football, Mitch Trubisky has a nice little high-end ceiling. Would we agree on that? I think so. Yeah, he's got really good accuracy when he puts it together, and he's got really good mobility. And those are gonna those are two traits that'll serve him well in like the kind of modern office offense that um, what's his name Nagy wants to wants to be running. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, um, I think I think the future's pretty bright for him in the particular system he's in. Yeah, I, I will be uh, honest with you. I picked up Madden about two weeks ago because it was on sale and I found myself running a franchise with the Bears. Uh, they're often, their playbook is fun to play with. Um, you know, may, maybe haven't quite figured out uh, Madden here in the modern age just yet, but it's been fun. <laughs> um, I, I do need to uh, just set the record straight. You are not the biggest Ron Rivera fan. So um, what, what, what about the Panthers had a interesting uh, game on Sunday? Just, I, I wanted just some quick thoughts just because uh, when you have to win on a 63-yard field goal against the Giants, that's probably not good. Yeah, it's it was very kind of similar to the last time we played the Giants. The last time was in 2015, and it got overshadowed by the Josh Norman and Odell Beckham Jr. kind of brawl on the field, or ongoing brawl on the field, but... What happened in the game was that the Panthers went up 35-0 and then just, just decided to not play for the next two quarters and had to like 
march down the field field for a game-winning field goal. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I guess the Giants just kind of bring that out in the Panthers. But the best thing, and I say this with as much sarcasm as possible, about that game was with 30 seconds left Ron, and no timeouts, Ron Rivera elects to run the ball <laughs> right up the middle. Barely gets the first down, and then we see the next day that NFL Films ha- like is filming him on the sideline while while he's doing this, and he's telling his staff that if they don't make the first down on this run, the next play has to be a QB sneak. So two <laughs> call, he's calling for two runs with thirty seconds left. Like that's not going to end the game. And I am I'm very disconnected from the Panthers. I, I I was watching the second half of that game out of interest, and I. I just started laughing hysterically, as I have done at UNC football a lot over the past year and a half at that play call, because, I mean, you know, it, it just had shades of, like, zero dark Thursday for UNC. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, there, there's just no coherent plan. And just as a bystander, what I just see from Ron Rivera week in and week out is, Basically, they get up seven to ten points and then just go into a shell. Is is that pretty much your primary complaint with them? That's one of them. I that that's one of the problems that most Panthers fans have with them. I think, but that's also a problem that most NFL fans have with their teams. I think mm-hmm. every NFL coach in the league, say like except for you know the the newer guys, has had documented troubles with clock management. I don't know what it is. It. But, I mean, Rivera is from the Andy Reid tree, and we know how bad he is with it. It's probably not going to change, right? No, I, I don't think so. And it's it, it makes for a lot more uh, entertaining, you know, like 345 to 415 viewing for the casual <laughs> observer like myself. Definitely. Um, it, what's pretty interesting is that like since Ron Rivera has been in Carolina, there's been like not only like issues with um, two minute drill play calling, but also like the Panthers have always re- looked really lazy and getting up the field in the last two minutes of a half. But it's worked pr- out pretty well for them until this season. I was reading an article on the Riot Report that said the Panthers are top five in point scored at the end of either half like from 2014 to 2016 but or 2017 but this year they've been awful at it for some reason i don't know if it's norv turner's influence or just bad luck but who knows yeah i think that's the type of thing that evens out you saw it with less miles um at the end there when you know lsu didn't get the playoff loses to auburn and less miles gets uh canned the next day so there, there's hope for you, Akil. There's hope. So I will <laughs> I will keep my eyes out. Uh, that's not what we're here to talk about, my man. Um, the folks at Keenan Stadium get to use the lights on Saturday for the first time in God knows how long. Uh, Carolina is hosting Virginia Tech at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, first and foremost, Akil, Chaz Surratt done for the season. Does that, d- does that affect you at all, or at least on your outlook for this game? Uh, not really. I'm like, I was on the just, you know, pull both quarterbacks and start a freshman train before it. And therefore nothing's really changed. I was optimistic for Chaz Surratt, but then we saw him against Miami and he looked like almost the exact same passer he was last year. 
he was a lot better as a runner. So, you know, if we were going to take some of the more outlandish statements and run the Georgia Tech triple option, he would have been good there. But as a passer, he still hasn't learned to move his head, really. He's still making kind of, he's still telegraphing his throws. And so there wasn't really hope for him this season as a quarterback. Yeah, I, I basically saw him as, you know, like you said, just a wildcat change of pace option at this point. And I think that was, you know, that, that was something I harped on in the preseason. And not to say I was right, because I was certainly not right about Nathan Elliott. But um, just, uh, ha, ha, I mean, he is a dynamic threat with his legs. I'll be interested to see, A, if he uh, ends up back at Carolina, and B, if he ends up at another position, to be quite frank with you. That's, um, definitely, that's definitely something that is a possibility. Yeah, and... Just, you know, for a postmortem on Chaz Surratt's season, do you know two people on this podcast have a higher passer rating than he does? <laughs> really? Um, is it, neg- is it, it negative? Yeah, it's it, it's in the negatives. Um, let, let me pull up. And, you know, pa- passer rating, I don't know quite how the formula goes, but he is at a negative 11.6 on the season. Uh, four for ten, three interceptions apparently gets you a negative rating. Yeah, that would do it. Yeah, That's really I mean, confuses me because it's it's calculated differently between college and NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh he's completed uh, seven of his ten passes for the season. Three of them just happened to be to Miami. Um, but uh, you know, I think. As you mentioned, I mean, probably doesn't really change the outlook for Virginia Tech. I, too, would like to see uh, Cade Porton or Jace Reuter. Um, I still get the feeling that Reuter's a little bit raw. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll see him in November if we want to manipulate the redshirt situation a little bit. Mm-hmm. But with Virginia Tech, you know, you're kind of hesitant to throw one of those freshmen into the fire just because of the different looks that Bud Foster's going to give you. Um you know, based on that, do you see Nathan Elliott probably being the guy on Saturday? I think it's probably going to happen. I don't really agree with it. I, I understand the point about not, you know, not letting Cade Fortin see his first real action against you know, one of the most complicated defenses in the ACC. But I think at this point, starting Nathan Elliott is admitting that you're going to lose. And I'd like to see Nate, Larry Fedora coach with a little more you know, uh, sense of urgency for yeah. his job. You know, the, the way he's been managing the season since ECU has made me think that he doesn't think his job as, is as in jeopardy or that he's already lost it. But not that either that he doesn't think he has to save it or he doesn't think there's a chance of saving it. And I don't think either of those mindsets is what he should be holding at this moment. No, and you would say if he doesn't think he has a chance of saving it, it's noble for him to maintain red shirts, but I don't really see, um, and, and this is probably projecting a little bit, but I just don't really see Fedora's mindset working that way. But Yeah, yeah. I, I, I doubt that any like anybody who's paid that much to coach has that, has that kind of idea. Like I think they're always going to think that they've got a chance. Yeah, and, um, you know, if you do run Elliott out there, I mean, you you better be running three running backs next to him and just running out of the diamond formation with Brown, uh, Williams, and Carter and keeping the ball on the ground. Um, I I, I still think Jake is right that we should go to some kind of modified uh, flex boner um, triple option, but probably not going to happen. But 
Just uh, from a standpoint of uh, when UNC's defense is on the field, uh, what, what have you seen from Ryan Willis, uh, if, if you've been paying attention to these two games where he's been quarterback for Virginia Tech? I haven't been too much. I know he's – I've read that he's been pretty decent, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think – let me pull up his stats real quick, but – He's had uh, six touchdowns and one interception, I believe, um, completing like 58% of his passes. So, I mean, he's slightly more efficient than Josh Jackson, uh, not getting as many yards per attempt. But, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, that, I mean, that's the, that, that's the kind of quarterback who basically dices up UNC because you know their weaknesses at linebacker. Essentially, anything over the middle of the field is not doing too much. Not not going to be stops too well. Yeah, I um, intentionally triggered our fans for the game preview tomorrow. I read about uh, Damon Hazelton, who is their slot receiver, sophomore, um, had 12 catches for 131 against Notre Dame. He's going to be attacking out of the slot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, if there's reason for optimism, though, which I do like to try to be somewhat optimistic, Willis was... Uh, objectionable as a quarterback at Kansas, but I would have to say that's probably more on Kansas than it is on Ryan Willis. Oh man. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. Um, um, I was, I, I was actually going to say there's some reason for optimism at like at slot corner. I think Bryson Richardson and Trey Morrison have both played really well for freshmen at nickel corner. I so have, that's a position I, I feel reasonably confident about. I would have to agree with you. I, I mean, it's, it's been more of kind of a flashes than, you know, just absolute being lockdown guys, but that's mm-hmm. about what you would expect from a couple of freshmen. I'm wondering if uh, Henry Baker and Tommy Thigpen aren't working with one of them as, you know, a potential replacement for Patrice Rene, because he's really been the only guy that has kind of consistently been on the bad end of a few plays, just from my observation. Mm-hmm. I want to say there's another freshman who's who who was threatening to take his job in the offseason. Was it CJ Cotman? Yeah, uh Cotman's a sophomore. Um he He's and a sophomore. Uh, yeah. he and Trey Shaw. Trey Shaw was uh suspended for the first two games, I believe. Uh they they both getting been getting a little bit more burned. So um you know, definitely something to watch especially coming out of a bye just to see what kind of uh, personnel changes are made and to see if that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, just to see if that uh, makes any kind of uh, perceptible def- or difference on the field. Um, yeah. I- Patrice Rene annoys me because I want him to be good. Like, I have friends who know him, and he's really toolsy, but I think there's just some sort of, like, mental block he hasn't been getting through, cause he, or he's just not good at the point of attack because he has been getting beat in a lot of close situations this year. And, you know, I, I think it's more of a system fit issue for him really because uh he, he was recruited to come play cover two corner under Chiswick and you know with his size that works but he's really more I mean size wise he's more of a safety and mm-hmm. you know I, I I just don't know if he has the hips to be you know a corner that has to play a lot of man but um you know there, there's definitely a spot for him he's he's you know I, I don't want to uh trash the guy I mean he's definitely an ACC caliber player. I just think he's playing out of position probably due to necessity more than anything else. 
Yeah, I think I think it is one of the things where if he's facing the if if he's able to face the ball the whole time, he's great. But I don't know if he has just the ball skills to play man corner like that. Yeah, and you know, kind of uh, on that note, we'll see. I guess if uh, Miles Dorn makes it back this week, uh, as as we very well know, Fedora doesn't disclose injuries unless they're season ending. Um, mm-hmm. But if he doesn't, and again with 16 days off, you wonder if they might reshuffle the deck. Uh, Miles Wolfolk's played really well, you know, kind of or in uh, Dorn's stead, and then J.K. Britt is uh, playing very well as the strong safety, in my opinion. Um, nobody's really getting. Oh yeah, burned. the safety safety play has been pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so you know, I, I guess there's not really as much room to replace. But if you wanted to go to some kind of sub package where you have. Renee Wolfalt Britt and then Dorn if he's healthy on the field uh get some of the let's call it less than stellar linebacker play off the field um against Virginia <laughs> Tech that that would be that would be a way to maybe attack them get a little more speed on the field and neutralize their outside passing attack yeah I'd be very okay with that especially in passing down situations yeah and the thing is I mean their running game is extremely pedestrian um you know just basically middle of the pack for the season in yards per attempt. And that's with games against old dominion and uh, William and Mary. Uh, we should mention that they lost to old dominion <laughs> and not, not to make that, you know, something that we can hang our hat on and say, Hey, Carolina should win this game because on the aggregate, we're 39 points better than them because we went to old dominion and won by 29 points last year. But, um, <laughs> But Akil, I guess I'll get you uh, out of the Virginia Tech Carolina game on this. What is your prediction for this football game? Um, I don't see Virginia Tech having too tough a time. I'll go forty-two to seventeen, Virginia Tech. Whew. Yeah. Um, I hate to admit it to you, but I had 34-13 in the preview that we'll be posting. Uh, let's see here. If this is Friday when this hits the airwaves. Yeah, 34-13. I, I just don't have faith in the offense really able, really being able to sustain drives. Um, I don't have yeah. faith in Nathan Elliott not turning the ball over. And I don't have faith in Larry Fedora adjusting and running the ball, which – Again, great stat pointed out by uh, our very own Jake Lawrence. We are averaging more yards per rushing attempt with uh, Brown, Carter, and Williams than we are per passing attempt on the season. And that is an amazing stat. That That's absolutely bonkers. Uh, our <laughs> running backs have been good, but still. And I think, you know, credit is probably due to the offensive line to an extent. Um, Miami is a whole nother beast, but they kept the quarterbacks clean for three games prior to that. I think uh, Nathan Elliott had suffered one sack on the season going into the Miami game and the running backs have had room to run the ball. Uh, Michael Carter had 81 yards on four carries in the first quarter against Miami. You know, one of the nation's top 10 defenses. So, Oh yeah. They've, they've been excellent since probably the first, since the Cal game, I think there were like, I, I had been talking all summer about how, they were going to be a really talented group and just needed time to gel. And it looks like it looks like after the first game that the chemistry just wasn't there. But since then, they've really stepped it up. And the running game, especially, like you said, has flourished. Antonio Williams has had a lot more room to run since Cal. 
Michael Carter looked amazing and against Miami, Jordan Brown's been pretty steady. Yeah. They've they they've really stepped up since they looked since the point where they looked like they were gonna be a weak spot. Yeah, so um to to wrap this segment up, I would say Chad Nikhil. Uh very negative on the outlook, but very positive about some of the things between the lines. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we 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 can make chicken salad out of uh chicken droppings um every once in a while but we're going to shift over to basketball just for a quick second because i don't pay attention to like media access days or anything like that but uh practice has started uh for the basketball team i mean just plain and simple did you have any takeaways from basketball media day um yeah a couple and a couple more uh recruiting nuggets i guess that are relevant to this season um yes sir the first one. The first one is after uh, after the commitments of Josh Green and Wendell Moore, we're paying a lot more attention to Keon Brooks, and he had an interview with the USA Basketball Camp, where he said, among other things, that Roy Williams has told him to watch how he uses Nasir Little this season, and that should make an impact on how he feels about North Carolina. So, with that in mind, I can't really like with knowing that Roy is using this year little not only as a player this season but as a recruiting tool i can't see him not starting that i had missed that in that nugget so uh I'm, I'm seeing here with my eyes wide open that's a very interesting uh little nugget so i mean at this point would you project the five to be may johnson little uh williams and point guard of choice um i would guess Yes, I think I, I'm. I, I wouldn't even be too shocked if Cameron Johnson or Kenny Williams comes off the bench. To be honest with you, I think they've both, they've both earned their starting spots. But I do think Roy wants someone who's you know taller than six eight on the floor. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would always err on the side of Sterling Manley's probably going to be the guy at the five just because of the way Roy Williams likes to play. But um, that is an interesting nugget. I don't see any way Kenny Williams does not start. But uh, Johnson, you know, you could maybe do the air quotes coming off of injury thing, um, justify starting that, little at the three and see where it goes. That's what I've been thinking as well. I don't know what it's going to be, but with that in mind, I really can't see Nasir Little not starting. Uh, and then from media days... People are understandably really high on Kobe White. Uh, I don't know who's going to start the first game, but I think Kobe White will be starting by the time we get to ACC play. And let's see. Just in general, like more good vibes coming off this coming coming up for this season. And you know we've been saying that a lot recently but it's it's been true we've had two national championship appearances in the last three years and last season fell pretty short but there was you know definitely some optimism coming off of a championship year yeah but and, things look pretty good people are excited about the freshmen we've got three great senior players luke mays gearing up for a national player of the year run and, and I was yeah, there's not too much Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, juxtaposing with 
the Duke one-and-done situation. It's just been a little bit more fun to follow, you know, where you have the player development aspect with um, the seniors and Williams and May and Johnson, who's only been there for a year thus far. Um, you know, I, I really have developed even more so of a newfound appreciation for uh, how the Carolina basketball machine operates. And, you know, I guess the other big takeaway from media days on that point would be Roy Williams and his outright dismissal of, you know, knowledge of the shoe company uh, influence in college basketball recruiting. Um, did you think that was a little bit too head in the sand just uh, as a statement or was it perfectly fair in your eyes? I mean, you know, I, I if anybody in that arena would be, I guess, ignorant of that aspect of the game, I would say Roy Williams would be high on that list as far as college coaches go. But Yeah, I believe what he said about no one ever having offered him money to recruit somebody. I think he just doesn't give off the kind of vibe that said that like says to boosters, like I'll take your dirty money. Yeah. I don't know if I believe when believe him when he completely believe him when he said that he had no idea what was happening because, you know, he's talking to, recruit recruits families he's talking to other coaches I, I believe he has he had an idea of what could be coming for college basketball i i do also believe that he considers himself 100 percent safe and i don't think that i have reason to doubt that either no i definitely do not doubt the uh the latter what you said there but to but to claim just complete ignorance to the whole system as as it stands is um you know that that's bold but you know Probably yeah. not something that's gone back. Especially, especially like when you have when when you've had a Jordan Brand making such a big deal out of taking over the football program a couple of years ago in your stadium. Yeah, and you know what? What I think I would have preferred would have been to say, "Yeah, I've lost recruits to that system." Um, I, that I don't really want to comment further on it at this time, but uh, it it is definitely something that is a plague on you know, college basketball, you know, something along those lines to where he acknowledges it and moves on. That would have been amazing if he'd, if he'd actually said, I've lost recruits <laughs> tissue companies. Well, um, there are plenty to go around. Uh, you know, obviously the big news yesterday was the Adidas runner coming out and naming schools and players by names, funneling DeAndre Ayton to Arizona, funneling Dennis Smith to uh, NC State. Um it, it, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next few months, I believe. Uh, for sure, for sure. I, it's going to be interesting to see how that how that fallout happens and also how it affects recruiting, I think. And, yeah. I mean, NC State so far has had one of their best recruiting seasons in a while. They got Jalen Leck, and they have been in the, they were in the running for Wendell Moore. I think they got someone else I'm forgetting the name of. Yeah, and, you know, a slightly competitive NC State is a lot more fun to beat by 50 than a completely non-competitive NC State, so I'm all for it, man. Um, you know, let them sneak into the tournament as a 10 seed. If they win a couple of games, they get excited for a couple of days. It's, I mean, that, that aspect of it's fun to me. So um, as long as UNC is getting theirs, uh, do you think the Arizona fallout has any impact on Josh Green, or is it just too early to tell? It's definitely too early to tell. And with Josh Green, there's there's a family aspect to it. His family lives in Arizona, and 
Arizona had been on him for much longer than UNC. It's kind of the reverse, the reverse Armando Baycott situation for UNC, where you know sometimes sometimes you get burned by the kid uh, flipping like Wendell Moore did. Sometimes you get lucky. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get lucky with it. Sometimes you don't. And UNC, uh, so, so UNC's been pretty good about landing guys who wanted to go to UNC for a while. You know, they haven't gotten all of them, but they've gotten a lot of them. Yeah, and that and what you're referring to uh, with the Wendell Moore situation is that how hard UNC was on him early, and I mean, just kind of getting beat out by the quote unquote dream school situation with Duke. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he held a UNC offer for two years before Duke offered him, and then he held both of those offers for another year before committing to Duke this past week. So, yeah, and I mean, for some reason, um, and this is definitely anecdotal, but you know, the guys that get those freshman offers, I mean, they're either you know NBA All Stars or their shine kind of wears off a little bit after a while, and that can be prospect fatigue. That can be whatever it is. I still feel like Moore is kind of on the ladder of those two things, but I don't think he's an immediate NBA All Star, especially yeah. going to Duke, where you know his biggest weakness is his perimeter shooting, and Duke is all about perimeter shooting. So unless unless he pulls a Justice Winslow, I don't even know if he's a one and done player in Duke's system because of the the weaknesses that are going to show up in his game. And I mean, you, you know Coach K is going to hate that. You know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't at Duke University. Uh, Trayvon Duvall, shout out. Keep doing your thing on Twitter. Um, Please do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know I asked uh, Brandon now this uh, last time we really kind of talked basketball recruiting even slightly. But if you were predicting the 2019 class for UNC, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, we've got Baycott and we've got uh, Jeremiah Francis. Uh, who else is coming? Um, I feel okay about Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it a lock, but I feel pretty good about him at least choosing UNC over Kansas, I think. So I'll put him in and I'll go ahead and roll the dice on Cole Anthony, but I think it's going to be those four misses on Keon Brooks, Boogie Ellis, Vernon Carey, and Matt Hart. Yeah. Those four would still be an excellent class. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you put Cole Anthony and Jeremiah Robinson Earl in that class, I mean, that's, that's two one-and-done caliber players right there. Um, I, I don't think anybody's sweating out the carry or the hurt recruitments. And um, quite honestly, I don't know enough about the Boogie Ellis recruitment, but it feels like Brooks is probably Big Ten bound. So um, I would roll with that, and I would I would take it and run, man. Absolutely, yeah. Boogie Ellis is kind of weird because he's – Obviously a California kid, but I guess he's got multiple family members who attended UNC, and he said he used to watch UNC games with his grandpa, so there's some hope there. We'll see what happens when he comes this weekend. Is it, uh, And let's, is he the only one coming to campus this weekend? I mean, UNC's already had... Go ahead. He's the only 2019 guy coming. Okay. Uh, Dayron Sharp, the 2020 commit, is going to be with him. Hey, that never hurts to have kind of the Isaiah Hicks level instant commitment there uh, in his ear. So I guess we'll see about Absolutely. that one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that gives me some hope. I Just not really 
like I said, having any insight to the Ellis recruitment, I'm going to take your four and I'm going to add Ellis to it. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. I just, you know, California kids are always, always give me a bit of a pause. Well, California kids give me a pause uh, once they get on campus more so than um, <laughs> getting them to campus, just uh, at least since Roy's been here. But, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always willing to gamble because talent is talent. Um, Akil, yeah. what do you what do you have uh, going on on TarHillBlog.com this week that the people need to read? Uh, I know you jump on the recruit cap most, most weeks, and it's always a fascinating read. Um, what else you got running this week? Uh, that's what I've been doing for the most part. I'll have a late night with Roy recap going up sometime next week and also keep on the lookout for my NFL recaps, my Tar Heels in the NFL, because we've had a shockingly good first quarter and a bit of the season in the NFL, even if our college football success has been lacking. Well, I mean, you know, chicken or egg, if we can point to NFL success, maybe that, uh, manifests itself back in Chapel Hill. So I hope so, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we will be hoping for that uh, with a big game on Saturday night against Virginia Tech. But, um, Akil, I appreciate you joining me. Until next time, uh, go Heels. Yeah, thanks for having me. Go Heels.